0: This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, Episode 177. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the show. My name is Michael Blank. I'll be your host today. Super excited you're here to learn about apartment building investing, the single best way to achieve financial freedom. And what I love about this business, there's so many different ways to achieve the same thing, which is financial freedom. You can be an active investor, you can be a passive investor, and or you could be a little bit of both. And so today on the show, we have Raj Tekshandani, who basically started off doing some active investing, like so many of us do, you know, buy a condo in a house here, it kind of gets the bug and invests passively and gets so excited about it, that he starts telling his friends. And before you know it, he's raising money and joint venturing with other multifamily syndicators, such an awesome journey. He's gonna talk about that journey. His background is high tech, he's uh, got a background in artificial intelligence and high tech. And uh, that's also the kind of investor he focuses on is people with high tech background, they really relate with him. So he's going to go through and talk about his journey. You know, why did he start investing in real estate? What was wrong with the stock market? You know, and on that note, I just want to let you know we just put out a new report that basically compares the stock market with real estate investing, specifically syndications. That report is at slash report It's a great tool because it kind of analyzes what's wrong with the stock market. The returns you actually think you're getting in the stock market is actually not what you're really netting at the end of the day for a variety of reasons that outline in the report. And then of course, I argue why multifamily syndications is a fix for all that. So it might be great if you're considering investing some money out of the stock market, this would be a great tool for you as well. If you're an active investor, and you're raising money from past investors it might be a good thing to know in that report. So it's the michaelblank.com forward slash report. Anyway, back to uh, Raj. Let's get right into the interview with Raj. Here we go.
1: Raj, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Michael. Thank you.
0: I'm super excited because you're going to give us the blueprint to quitting your job in the next 30 minutes or so. And that's going to be really cool. And what I love about this business is there's so many different ways to achieve the same goal, which is financial freedom. And uh, you have a unique path, as most people do. So I, I I want to kind of drill down on that a little bit. Wind back the clock a little bit and describe when you started. got started with uh, real estate. What was going on in your life and and why were you thinking... Hey, I think I'm gonna use real estate, and maybe one day I maybe I can quit my job. Like, what was going on when you were thinking when you got started with real estate?
1: So, Michael, background, you know, just like yours is technology. For people who know, technology jobs are, you know, you're, there's not nothing you know goes for long term, especially startups that I'm very fond of. You know, we we can hit it home run, or we can you know uh, strike out pretty quickly in startups. Yes, right. So, yeah. <laughs> So clearly, you know, I, uh, in my back of my mind, it's like, okay, I'm continuing to work on my startup path, but somewhere along the long road, I want to, you know, create a, you know, second in- income stream and see if I can, you know, make that as passive cash flow alongside my W-2 income. So that was the uh, initial thought. I had not done much about you know, research on what, how, where, but that was the thought.
0: Uh, so, so that was a thought that, hey, you build up this passive income, right, it's just on, on the side. And so what did you start doing?
1: So back then, this was now circa 2012, you know, a friend of mine was um, buying, you know, properties in Orlando, and I don't know how he was doing it. He was, you know, he bought a few condos. I said, like, what's going on? So I, he said, come down with me. I, so I went down there and looked at the condo prices. These were like decent condos, and they were priced very low. So I said, oh, that's not a bad idea to jump in. So I bought my first condo for $34,500, which I was told the price at some point at peak was about $180,000 for those condos. So I said, this is not bad. So I took that little leap of faith, you know, wasn't much of a risk at that time. And lo and behold, it, it, you know, it started giving cash flow and I bought another one and another one and got sort of hooked on to this idea of passive cash flow.
0: So did you have a property manager manage these condos for you at the time or how were you managing that?
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, fortunately we had a property manager and uh, she's still managing it for us, that same property manager. Uh, she lived in, or lives in the same apartment complex that these condos were in. So that was a great, great help of, you know, investing in you know, out of state for us.
0: So you started investing in condos because, hey, you you, you felt like the passive income was was kind of nice to complement your your job. You bought one that was pretty cool. You bought another. At one point, did you start to think that this there was a, maybe a greater strategy behind what you were doing?
1: It was about 2015. I had assembled uh, probably nine condos at that point, and unfortunately, the, our property manager, the lady, the old lady, you know, she passed away, mm. and I was like, holy cow! Now what do I do? fortunately for us her daughter stepped in and you know took charge and but that gave me a pause to think hey i'm investing too far too many different properties too many bills to manage too many you know checks to collect i would probably look at something called multifamily which i had heard about and i said okay let's do multifamily closer to home so i can keep a good watch at it and i can get more involved and that was the you know pause that led me from the single family condos to my first multifamily investment in 2016.
0: So why did you go to a multifamily? You could have just started buying maybe townhouses or condos, you know, in the Boston area where you're from. Why did you make that shift?
1: Oh, well, I think clearly, you know, the, so I had read about this now a little more intelligent than I was before. The whole economies of scale and, you know, managing under one roof and, you know, the whole uh, idea about, you know, if, if, if we have, you know, a couple of, you know, units vacant, I can still survive. The whole idea of the benefits of multifamily were kicking in to see, okay, let's do something larger and bigger. But at that time, I was not ready for anything bigger than what I bought, which was, you know, a decent-sized apartment in the Boston area.
0: What was the first uh, a multifamily that you, that you did?
1: So this was, a, you know, 15 units. It's like 12 residential and 3 storage units in a, in a neighborhood near me where I live. So just, you know, drove down the street and I saw that on LoopNet it was available. I was like, you know, this, this area is not the best area. I wouldn't live in that area, but I would definitely, because it's a neighboring area, I know a lot about it. It's up and coming. It's, you know, it's bordering our town. And I could see that the property was on a, just across the town line and had potential in, in that particular, you know, street or, or part of the town.
0: So it was a 15 unit. Where was your comfort zone at the time? Was it 15 units? Was it 25 units? Was it more like, were you freaking out? Like, where, where was your state of mind <laughs> at the time?
1: So, it was definitely something, you know, 15-unit where I had my down payment was, I mean, at that time, $250,000 or so. Uh, this was a million-dollar purchase, that uh, just short of a million. Uh, with some. So, that was my comfort level. And I was like, you know, if I have to do this, so let me just get in at this stage.
0: Well, how did that first deal go? Was it smooth? Uh, was it some hiccups?
1: Oh, absolute hiccups. You know, you know So, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was little that I learned that the real difference between passive and active investment, right? So if you're still owning that property, and you're still, you know, uh, even though your property manager is managing it, it's still active involvement. Because if you're not actively involved, you know, things can fall apart. And the property manager that I had was not working out because he was actually the son of the owner, which, you know, I found out later in the process. So in a lot of expenses that were not on the T-trails, and you know, I, I didn't have the Michael Blancs SDA back then to say, okay, you know, uh, expense ratio is a big red flag on a class C property. So all those things, you know, I learned along the way. But the good thing was, the occupancy was, you know, 100% when I got it, uh, which slowly fell apart, the rents were, you know, the rents were not coming on time, because the previous property manager was just letting it go. I mean, he didn't care whether the rents come in on the first or the 15th or the 29th. So a lot of that, you know, turned out to be a nightmare, you know, plus added, you know, a bunch of expenses that we didn't know, the snow plowing expenses, he, he was doing it himself. And lo and behold, you know, that year it snowed a lot. And these are not, you know, you, you know, pay somebody $35 to, you know, remove your driveway snow. These are expenses that pile up pretty quickly.
0: Did you have to fire your property manager?
1: Yes, I did eventually. I mean, I, you know, I said, this is not working out clearly or not interested. So we parted ways and I found, you know, scrambled to find another property manager and that didn't work out. And finally, now after two years, uh, a lot of, you know, lost rent and all that thing, we're getting the property back on track.
0: And it took a while.
1: It took a while. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think there's a little myth out there that this is, uh, is passive investing. I don't call it passive investing. I call it you know leverage, leverage investing, I think, right. more so than many things. But now you know, and I know that the quality of your life depends significantly on the quality of your property manager.
1: Absolutely. No question about it.
0: Like, for example, how much time were you spending on this 15-unit property back then, and how much are you spending on it now?
1: I am not spending any time now, fortunately. And back then, I was going there three times a week just to figure out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, went to courts a couple of times for evictions and all that stuff that uh, it was it was a mess. And, uh, you know, we, our, our vacancy went down, our collections went down. I mean, I learned the big difference between economic occupancy and physical occupancy, right? <laughs> you can have people staying in your property but not paying you. So that was the case when we first, you know, took over the charge.
0: So the first deal was not an easy one. What did you do after that, and when did you do it? So this was sometime in 2016. What did you do after that?
1: 2016? So alongside I was you know, I was reading about uh, something called syndication, multifamily syndication. I had a friend who was involved in syndication. He showed me a property package, two hundred something units um, in, in Georgia, and he said, "This is the way you do pass it." I said, "I don't <laughs> get it. There were too many zeros for my liking, right? It was a large property, and you know the numbers looked very big. I said, "I'm not ready for this." And he said to me at that time, you know, what you're doing in your 15 unit is more riskier than what you're going to do here. And, you know, I said, I don't believe it, but we'll talk. So I did. But I continued my education on multifamily syndication, you know, read books, listen to every podcast there was. Somewhere down the road of 2016, I invested passively in, in the 151 unit in Georgia. By that time, I had a good comfort level of, you know, what passive investment, what do I want to do with passive investments? I really, I'm not a handy person, so I don't want to be managing properties. I knew that, you know, what our roles are there in, in the whole syndication. And uh, that's how I got started. And, you know, and there was a clear path for me saying that if I do, you know, a few more of these, um, and that is clearly a way to financial freedom for me, if not financial freedom, at least freedom of time for me.
0: So you got to experience what it's like to be a, a limited partner, or passive investor, which probably was fairly passive.
1: Mm-hmm. That was fairly passive.
0: Yeah, and how did it how did it go? I mean, you know, what do the returns look like compared to, you know, what you were doing with your own fifteen unit?
1: I mean, returns were I mean good. The returns were like this property was IRR eighteen uh, percent or more. or I think eighteen eighteen point something. The cash flow has been uh, about ten percent a cash on cash. I mean. So so far it's doing good. I mean, it's 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 been doing well for my property. You know, at that same time, it's really hard for me to compare because my property took a dip. You know, I don't know if you heard the news back then. There was like the Columbia gas explosions that happened in that same town, and we we were running at fifty percent vacancy. So I will get a good measure of you know what my cash flow there is. You know, in a couple of months when we get fully you know eased up. To compare to you know the other option. but I'm keeping it around because I, I have the um, belief that the property values the property value is already gone up. So I, I knew the concept of forced appreciation. Right now, we when we took over the rents, average rents were about eight fifty. Now we are renting them at twelve hundred plus on the same units.
0: Yeah, you've built a lot so, of equity. So now you know the, the joys of passive versus uh, active income uh, investing. Right. So at one point, uh, did you quit your job here? What when did this happen?
1: So once I got very comfortable with the idea of passive investing and you know, my uh, the, I saw the cash flow that was coming in from my condos and uh, the potential cash flows that could come in from my multifamily unit is is when I decided to say, okay, I'm going to do, my plan was to do more passive investing and buy another one of these 25, 50 unit property because now I was much more confident. And I said, I can do this full time now. I was not ready to go back to another startup. Because, you know, really startup is a long shot of, you know, you can make it or break it. The salaries in startup are not that great, as you know, Michael. But really, it's a stock option betting game. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to do this full time. I can control my own destiny in some way or sorts to do this full time. And uh, that was a leap of faith, again, I took to do that.
0: Yeah, I would I would agree it's a definitely a leap of faith. And I I concluded the same thing. I knew I got pretty lucky with the IPO that we had at Web Methods, just on looking at everybody else, and even getting bought was you know a remote. And meanwhile, you're working sixty five hours a week on something that was most likely not going to happen. Nevertheless, though, I gotta say, Raj, the idea of getting a job with a salary. I mean, it, it was a leap of faith. Why did you think it was worth it? In other words, what if you had gone back to a high-tech job, what is it that you did not appeal to you?
1: Uh, the, the control on my own time, right? I mean, now I probably work more, but I work at my will, right? So, I mean, we had management meetings at Friday, late evenings, and it was just one of those things that, you know, you got to do what you know, the company wants you to do. Yeah, I mean, the stock options would have been nice, but I mean, it's a lot of grind on somebody else's idea.
0: And so your experience that you had up to that point gave you confidence that if you focus on this thing, it'll be okay.
1: Yes, I did. I did. And I, I had also a passion of, you know, my passion for technology continued. And I said, you know, I looked at, you know, we'll probably jump into that later part of, you know, what, why technology and all that stuff. And I was looking at, you know, I can continue my passion on technology tools, on data analytics and bring them over to the real estate arena. And still, you know, get my intellectual, you know, whatever you call it, stimulus and still do things at my own will and probably put in more hours and more energy. But something that I enjoyed more than going for another startup
0: or full-time job. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Can you remember back your your last day of work? Like, what was that? What was that like for you?
1: I mean, it was nervousness. I mean, uh, it was, you know, okay, where do I go from here? I mean, who do I talk to? <laughs> Suddenly, you know, you don't have any place to go to and, you know, talk to different people and bounce around ideas. So it was it was a little vacuum that I, you know, I saw, but that quickly got filled because I took up a, a space in, you know, one of those co hosting, co working spaces that I took on and I could still talk to people. And interestingly that turned out to be great because now you're bouncing off ideas to people who could be potential passive investors.
0: Yeah, that's right. So you quit your job and then now you're focusing on this full time. Kind of what did you do since then?
1: So, yeah, since then, I did more research on, you know, on, you know, doing another property in the Massachusetts area, quickly figured out that's the numbers not going to work. If I'm going to raise some capital to do this, the returns that I've seen in other parts of the country are not here. So I said, okay, what do I do now? So clearly, you know, I circled back with the investor, the, the syndicator that, you know, two or three years ago had, I had refused the deal for. I said, I'm not ready yet. I went back to that team and I said, you know what? I think I'm gonna do this more actively and uh, tell me what, how I can get involved. So idea of you know, doing more syndications and dropping the idea of finding something locally, small units, just I dropped that idea and became a full-time you know, evangelist for syndication, multifamily and all that good stuff.
0: Did you go out and find your own deals or did you partner with syndicators who had deals and you raised money or what, what was your strategy from that point forward?
1: So my strategy to jump into this was to you know you know work with a team that had you know a good track record, because I mean not on that was only for my passive investments uh, at that time and but capital raising was capital the raising idea of capital raising came a little later when I said oh this is great and you know I saw people around me not knowing what syndication is and everybody's invested in stock markets and then you know, every time the market goes down they're like holding their heads. And I was like, you know, I started, so I just, you know, just like I said, I started evangelizing the whole idea of multifamily syndication and still partnering with, you know, people that I knew to get it started.
0: That's great. So you have experienced uh, operators who are finding deals and operating deals and you're partnering to raise money. What is it that makes you so excited about raising money for multifamily? Why are you so excited about that? I'm excited about it also. I just want to hear why are you (laughs) excited about it?
1: I think it's the notion of, you know, this thing requires education and this requires meeting people. This thing requires, you know, the passion that you can, you know, transfer to other people that you, you know, are still not aware of what it does. So that was part of it. You know, I was meeting people. uh, I started a meetup group and all that stuff, all that good stuff came along, but it was the passion of me trying to explain this concept of multifamily syndication to people. And some of them really got it quickly. And some of them, I'm still trying to convince, you know, that this is the, this is the next best thing. So that was the main idea about that.
0: You talked about that. You have a passion also for technology. How have you combined that passion for technology with, you know, with your investing?
1: So clearly, Michael. I mean, this when 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 we say about capital raising, I'm not just you know capital raiser. So I still you know do my own underwriting and you know look at deals very passionately. So, the technology piece comes in in two aspects multiple aspects actually. there is a lot of research. So, when I left my w two I was in, into this machine learning AI stuff kind of work, and I realized that there's a lot of machine learning AI stuff happening in the real estate as well. So I met up with you know a, a colleague uh, from MIT who had done a whole thesis on you know basically artificial intelligence in real estate, and I sat with her and understood you know what uh, where the market status is of you know all the companies and learned a lot about, you know, different kind of companies and few companies that, you know, clicked to me were, you know, companies like Rionami, Inodo, that were doing stuff in the space that I was, I was interested in. So finding deals, underwriting deals, market analysis. So you can take all the technology tools because, you know, I still call it, you know, everything is decision uh, database, you know, decision making, right? Data driven. So a lot of real estate or pharma or whatever that we have, the underlying data is the key to, you know, making good decisions. So quickly realized that there are tools out there that are trying to do things in a much smarter way. And I said, okay, this is interesting. So I'll blend technology tools in my interest of, you know, underwriting market analysis. And then more tools came by later, which I can talk about.
0: Well, let's talk about some of that stuff. So you are a capital raiser, uh, but you also really appreciate the underwriting. And I think that's what your investors appreciate about, you, about you is that you actually get really into these deals and you're underwriting deals. You're asking questions. Now you're also, now what kind of technology are you using? And I think what you're describing here is something that any active investor, and I consider you, when you're capital raising, you're an active investor. Oh, yeah. What kind of tools have you been, have you found useful?
1: So early on, when I said, okay, I'm going to go find my own deals," right? And I, so I started networking with brokers and all that good stuff. I used Rionami a lot. Rionami is, if you go to their website, they'll claim they are the best AI, artificial intelligence tool in real estate. But they do do some good stuff. They, they collect all the data on existing apartments. You, know, you can figure out which loans are coming out in the next quarter or so, who owns it, what does the property look like, and all that good stuff. So there's a lot of data on apartment ownership. So you can quickly, you know, find those data and go to the owners directly without, it's like off-market deals, you know. But like I said, the economy is still working on a lot of data that is coming up in certain areas. I mean, they are doing well in certain areas, but the areas that we were looking at, so that was one tool that we explored a lot, but didn't make any purchases based on that. What else? Uh, then there's like tools like Enodo, right? I mean, Enodo, what it does is it takes, uh, Enodo is a blessing and for us who, you know, don't want to take time multiple days in underwriting, right? Inodo, you know, will uh, you give it, you know, a PDF of you know, t 12s or rent roll or whatever expenses you have. Inodo software just takes it in and it ingests all the data, and it'll spit out, you know, a performer for you or an analysis for you for you know doing these uh, underwriting stuff. And not only that, Inodo will, you know, because it's a machine learning tool, on it built has built-in intelligence. To go out in the neighborhoods that you are looking at the property for, and say, the rents in this property are they matching with the similar kind of rents in the neighborhood? So that's very really powerful.
0: And how reliable or consistent is that is that data that you're you're finding?
1: I would still always go back to you know in all these technology tools, you know, I, I keep saying that there are good tools, but you can't hundred percent rely on them. You still have to rely, and uh, one day it'll. The day will come that these tools will get, you know, very reliable, but they're getting there because it's all learning. The machines are still learning. You know, the data is being accumulated every you know, hour. The property management software databases are being updated. So a day will come that we can make exact predictive analysis. But still, right now, we still do make sure that we have feet on the ground that are doing you know, actual comps uh, analysis for
0: us. Okay, that's great. Any other technology that you found uh, super useful?
1: I think we found some, you know, proprietary tools that did, you know, market analysis because we have, you know, a list of criteria that we look at a market for. I mean, I have this list here. We look at population, population growth, net migration. So all that, you know, data are, the data is available publicly. We just have to find tools. And there are tools that are coming out there. And I'm working with, you know, a couple of software companies in the Bay Area to build these, some of these tools, not there yet.
0: Yeah, that's fabulous. That's awesome. So it's interesting to observe that there are a good number of passive investors, not all of them who transition into more of an active role, like you've done, what is kind of your, your advice? So take someone on a journey from, hey, they have 100% of their assets invested in the stock market, to, you know, investing passively in a deal, and then potentially becoming a capital raiser, like what are each of those steps? Describe that and, you know, maybe reference your own experience.
1: Right. So I think the first thing when I meet somebody, so I, like I said, I have these meetups that people, and it's an open forum meetup, you know, and it's a small meetup that anybody can come and ask questions and we have follow-ups. So anybody who's new to you know, multifamily syndication, you know, they would have follow-ups meeting with them. And the first question I ask is, what is your goal? Right? What do you want to do? Um, yeah, you want to be a real estate investor, but what kind of real estate investor do you want to be? Do you want to be an active investor? Yeah, I want to be an active investor. Do you know what active investing means? It means a lot of sleepless nights. And do you want to be a passive investor? What does that mean? Does that mean that you just give blindly give your $50,000 check to somebody? That's not passive. That's blind investing. So, you know, walk them through what active means, what passive means, what do they want to do? And if they want to pursue the syndication path, I give them the options of, you know, my my goal path. But not everybody wants to do that. And a lot of people say, you know, I'm very happy with the job that I do, but I want a, you know a secondary, you know, cash flow stream. So for them, it's not, they don't want to transition to being a capital raiser, but they want to trust. In a partner, and they have found me to do that, to find deals for them that I have vetted through my technology background and my tools, and I'm going to be investing alongside to just passively invest. So th- those are the paths that they can
0: choose. Yeah, that's fabulous. So what's your advice for someone who says, hey, Raj, this is really interesting to me. What are the steps that a passive investor should go through to become comfortable with investing with multifamily and uh, with a pre- specific operator? And when I say operator, I consider you kind of the operator, right? Because they're kind of yeah. investing you. You you may be partnering with somebody, but they don't really know that person. So, they're really partnering right. with you. So, what do you do to get them comfortable with uh, the asset class and then with you and then the deal?
1: You know, I've been mean, a lot of actively, you know, putting out content on social media and all that and, you know, basically snippets of things that I, digestive you know, amounts of, you know, information that I can give out to passive investors. I mean, if somebody says, I want to invest, you know, I give them definitions of what, you know, what are the definitions you need, to you know, walk them through a deal that we have done in the recent past. And again, you know, walk them through, hold their hand. It's sort of be like a concierge to them in terms of, you know, walking them through their first deal. And if they say, no, this, I don't want to be really active. And then I walk them through a different path. I say, you know, go get these tools, go get the, you know, syndicated deal analyzer, go work on it, you know, learn it, look at all the videos that are out there get comfortable with underwriting a little bit. And do the market analysis. So there's two different paths. For the passive investors, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of education and trust that I build through meetups, through, you know, blogs and content I put out. I'm still writing a lot of content to put out.
0: Great. So you're actually educating the investor constantly with content and phone calls and meetups. So that's, that's great. What do you look for in an operator? Well, before you align yourself with an operator, what do you look for?
1: Clearly, I look for operators that I know, sort of have known in the last few years, right? I mean, I, I don't go for the biggest bank operators that I've done, you know, 10,000 units or what. I go with the operators. They're part of my masterminds or I've met them through, you know, other deals. And I, I like their working style. I, you know, operators that I can question anytime and they would not They'll pick up my phone anytime to answer any question that I have. So most of the operators that I worked, you know, like I said, I've you know, met them through you know coaching club groups and masterminds, and I tend to you know stick with them. So that's my
0: philosophy: trusted partners. Trusted partners, and you don't need a lot of them.
1: No, no, you don't need a lot of them. I mean, I don't need you know a lot of them. I need a few who would you know are, who have a solid uh, understanding of where they are going, uh, what markets they are going after. If if we agree on that, that's where we start off with.
0: This is great. So, you have a lot of great content out there. How can people find out more about you?
1: Well, I have a website, you know, www.smartcapitalmgmt.com. That's smartcapitalmanagement.com. I mean, my email, Raj at smartcapitalmanagement.com. There's a lot of content I on Facebook. I, you know, I run a couple of Facebook groups on, you know, data driven multifamily investing and just general large Facebook groups just like that. So, you have a lot of ways to find me.
0: That's great. And we'll put this in the show notes. It'll be themichaelblank.com forward slash session 177. So we mentioned a few technology items. So we'll put those in the show notes with links to those as well. Hey, Raj, thank you so much for being here, sharing your journey and your expertise on, on technology.
1: Michael, it's been a pleasure and thanks for hosting me.
0: All right, so if you didn't have a chance to scribble all this stuff down that Rod was talking about, the show notes are com forward slash session 177. And we'll have that in the show notes uh, to talk about some of the technology things that he, that he mentioned, really super useful tools. And there are other ones out there. I think the takeaway is, is this. Uh, if you're raising money, then really figure out what your what your niche is, right? Like who do you attract? We talked a lot about that dealmaker live a couple months ago, is don't just go out there and try to raise money from everybody figure out what your niche is, right? So if you're a working mom money raiser, you might be attracting working mom or moms, right? If you're a high tech guy, you might be uh, attracting high tech people. If you're an attorney, you might attract attorneys, a doctor or doctors, okay, so figure out what is your niche? And who are you going to attract? What do you have in common with what is your story? And really figure out what that is. Conversely, really consider what you want to do, right? We talked a lot about the pros and cons of active investing. A lot of people feel like they need to or want to get into active investing when in fact, you know, it's not actually what they want to do. They really want to be a past investor. And honestly, the returns for a pass investor are really good, especially in relation to what you have to go through to become an active investor. The education, the experience, the amount of work you're doing. It's a great way to create something out of nothing as an active investor. Uh, but you got to be an entrepreneur, true and true. And it's something you got to love doing. And if not, consider being a passive investor. So I agree with Raj that one of the things that we do a lot at Nighthawk equity is really educating the investor because a lot of people they know something's wrong, you know, not right with the stock market and they're looking for alternatives. They hear about multifamily syndications, and it intrigues them, but they don't know anything about it. So if that describes you, I invite you to kind of find more about Nighthawk equity, at nighthawkequity.com and uh, click the join button that puts you in our club essentially and uh, on our email list and we're going to share with you how our process works what the minimum investment is how we buy property what we look for we'll also have a phone conversation with you to get to know a little better so same with raj we just we want to make as many people comfortable investing in multifamily, family number one and with us number two so if that describes you check out nighthogequity.com forward slash join. So again, so many ways to get involved. Uh, act Investor, Pass Investor, a mix as a capital raiser. And it's just so exciting. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building. Till next time.